Hey everyone, Tyson here. We got two podcasts on deck this week. The first is this one, which is a free one with Andrew Greif of the LA Times. We talk a lot about the NBA playoffs, his recent great story on Russell Westbrook, a little bit of Duck Spring football, and just what the Blazers have to do to get themselves back into contention. And then later this week, we have a exclusive subscribers-only episode of The Corridor with Taylor W. Anderson, who broke the news last week about Salt Lake City's play for Major League Baseball. How does this impact Portland? What does Dale Murphy have to say? Taylor had a one-on-one with a, the Portland-born slugger who uh, seems to be pretty happy in Salt Lake. So uh, if you want to listen to that one, become a subscriber at i-5corridor.com. But this free one's pretty good. Here's Andrew. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the I-5 Corridor's Traffic Report. Tyson Alger today. Joined by returning guest Andrew Greif of the LA Times. <sighs> How's it going, buddy? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm um, I'm here in Phoenix, but it's a few hours before Game Two of Clippers Suns, and it seems like we're in very different weather patterns currently. Yeah, uh, just just a little bit. I but think it was. I'm good. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I wanted to bring you on today because. Sports in Portland kind of suck right now. Um, I mean, college baseball is going great. The Ducks and Beavers are whatever. But there is no NBA basketball happening in Portland, and there might not be at this time of the year for the foreseeable future, depending on how the draft lottery goes. So I wanted to check in with you, who was a friend of the show, and see how one of legitimately the most exciting series of the NBA playoffs first rounder going with the, the Clippers and Suns. But first, I really wanted to ask you, is your kid a USC fan? Like, are your children USC fans? Like, how does that work? Like, I know you, you went to University of Oregon. You guys grew up in Eugene. Like, where does the fandom now lie, especially as your oldest is getting into, like, full-on sports fan age? Yeah, he's seven now. And he doesn't really have a – he doesn't have this pull toward any college program, really. You know, like mm-hmm. – um, Do you think that would be reversed if you guys were still in Oregon? Like, like is, is colleges so off the radar down there that it's not like, you know, it's not like you're in the bubble. Maybe, you know, it's also the fact that he's not, and I would never push him toward being this like massive, massive sports fan either. So like, I definitely keep him, you know, sort of like up to date on, Hey, like, so this team in our backyard, the UCLA, like they're playing in, in March madness right now. And like, it kind of, but like, it's never something where I feel like anything has really stuck a certain fandom is stuck and that's so i think that he's probably if you were to ask him he'd probably be more of a pro sports fan just because i work in pro sports and you know like when the minnesota timberwolves like he loves <laughs> timberwolves because of their mascot you know it's like stuff like that um so you know, he knows the clippers really well he knows paul george knows Kawhi, you know knows who lebron is but yeah there's not really like this regional thing going on where now he feels a pull toward because he is really proud of being from Oregon. He's he's our only kid who was born in Oregon, and so it's funny. Like he really identifies with. Oh yeah, well I was born in Oregon. Um, really? I think it, he th- I think he thinks it like sets him apart from some of his classmates, um, just being a little bit different. So, but I but that doesn't translate to. Oh, I feel like I'm a duck or I'm a beaver. Well, I did I did see him recently grilling Russell Westbrook. Um, 
you, you guys have new interns at the LA Times here? <laughs> yeah, the ones we feed with Taco Bell. Um, that, that's how we pay them. Yeah. Uh, it, Talk about lunches. Yeah, that was a funny thing where it was just his spring break. Um, it was a chance. Uh, it was kind of with some childcare. It was going to be, as you know, I might have to miss practice um, if I couldn't have taken him. So I thought, you know, what the heck? Let's just go um, and bring him with me. See, show him how I work a little bit. Right. And he he's a awesome, great kid who just you know just keeps to, keeps to himself. So I knew he wouldn't be talking during the press during the press conferences. So. You know, he listened to Nicholas Batum talk, and then he listened to uh, Russell Westbrook talk, and then uh, when Norman Powell was speaking, kind of in a scrum um, off to the side of the, the practice, right before it was about to start, I said, "Hey, just go stand over here. It's kind of crowded right here. Like, just watch practice real quick. Watch guys shooting." And and actually, Ty Lue came over and said, "What's up to him?" Um, and I actually, it's funny. Russell was asking him more questions about his birthday party. Like, <laughs> like where's it going to be? Are you inviting your friends? But I had told him on the way over, I said, you know, just in case someone asks you for a question, like you should think of a question. And he asked Ty, he said, who is your favorite teammate? Oh, that's, and a good question. that's a good question. It was a really good question because of all the people Ty Lewis played with Kobe, Shaq, Michael. Uh, and um, he thought about it. He thought about it. He thought about it. And he goes, hmm. Brian Shaw, who is one mm. of the uh, Clippers assistant coaches, who was also one of his Lakers teammates for years. So it was a, I don't know, I was kind of a funny moment. Yeah. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about Russell Westbrook because when he ended up on the Clippers um, and I've, you know, I've never really covered the NBA other than a couple games here or there. I'm, I'm definitely a fan, but you know, it, Westbrook seems like a player whose like reputation, maybe even with the media, kind of precedes him, and is just maybe either combative or not cooperative or whatever. But um, he was the kind of the story of the Clippers game one win, and you had a hell of a gamer on deadline. You had stuff in your story that nobody else did, um, going kind of into Westbrook's mindset and his pre-practice and preparation uh, for that game. And one, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about like how you went about formulating that story and writing it on deadline. But then two, like what has your experience with Westbrook been like? Because I can't imagine that like if he if that reputation is as accurate as it is, you're probably not getting that sort of information from him. Yeah, um, I feel like our experience um, around Russell for gosh, it's been almost two months now um, has been far different from what um, like you said, his reputation had been from what I'd heard from how he'd interacted with people who do my job in Oklahoma city and the Lakers. Um, didn't really know what he was like when Houston or Washington, but, um, you know, it was sort of like, I didn't know what to expect. Um, because I think there had been, uh, from a really young time in Oklahoma city, there was like a a kind of a combative from both sides. seems like at times a relationship with, with media with him. Um, so I just had no idea what to expect, but he's been, I mean, really, since the first day, uh, he's been great. And you ask people around the team, like, is, you know, like, okay, that this is how we see Russell. Like, what's he like around you guys? And they say, like, no, no, like, seriously, what you see is is the way he is with us, too. Hmm. Um, and so I did not go into that um, that game one on Sunday night thinking I was going to write that story. Right. I, but I I knew he'd gone back to shoot uh, the previous night at Arizona State, where the team the team had had practice there that day, and 
I, I, I just sort of knew that he'd gone back that night to get some extra shots up. And I didn't think that was anything by itself, maybe unusual or extraordinary. And, you know, guys practice all the time outside of the usual practice times. But I, I just sort of had an inkling there might be something there. And he just had that big game. The story had to be clearly about him. And it was a chance. Um, so he left the podium where you know, I met people who don't do this job, like in the playoffs, there's a very formal podium where you, a guy sits on a dais, takes questions. You know, there's several rows of seats. And then he walked out, he was walking to the bus. And I asked him if he, I could have two minutes of his time. And very graciously, he said yes. And I just sort of asked him about is, is, is that is that rare or is like like were you surprised that he said yes or I mean that's not rare but okay. for certain players it can be rare right um, to to grant that so I didn't know if Russell would say yes or no and if he had said no I was going to have a fine story anyway but um, but I was obviously grateful he stopped and said yeah of course what do you want and he t- he told me about why he goes to the gym so often um, kind of to clear his mind and gave me some really great details about, you know, he waits, like he has three kids like I do. And so when he's in LA, he has to wait till his kids go to bed. And then he goes and finds the gym and kind of just does a little bit of prep work. And it was the, it was the opportunity for me to ask the one question I really wanted to ask him for two months, which was when you were out of the league um, in February, after the buyout, you got traded by the Lakers. He was bought out in Utah and there was about a week of limbo there. And I sort of was like, did you ever doubt that there would be a place for you in the league still? Hmm. Um, you know, or did you have an inkling all along that, no, this is temporary. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be back. And I, so I was really grateful to kind of ask the thing I'd been wondering about for a couple months. So, yeah, it it was not something that I wish I could say I went in planning that thing. But it was that finished. And then I had about probably – 45 minutes to write it and um so yeah it was i was really glad to, to write that because i felt it was unique what was it a uh was it a quick write or was it a stressful write because like, like we we all know sometimes like when you like sit down and it just like flows and like it works and like you just think the heavens and then there's other times where you're just like really sweating the deadline yeah it was it was it was quick and i didn't feel yeah i wasn't i wasn't kind of being too, I, I was trying to just let it write itself, you know, like yeah. I, I just thought that like the information was interesting enough and set one scene and go from there. And so I felt like it also helped that there was a 5 PM tip off, you yeah, know, that helped absolutely. with deadline. <laughs> it wasn't like if it had been a 15 minute, you know, right till deadline, that would have been different. Like I can write pretty much any game in 30 minutes. So, um, so that was really helpful too. like that. It's it's a different story if the, if it's a seven o'clock tip off. Let's put it that way, which tonight is. <laughs> I, uh, I I know you're a you're you're a seasoned NBA beat writer now, and uh, you know none none of this really is is new to you. But just like this series in general, like it's got there's a ton of star power in the series, whether it's KD, Booker, Chris Paul, all the guys on the Clippers. Just like how how fun is how fun is this? You know this this is probably like when you take take an NBA gig and like like want to really kind of get into this career. Like these are probably like the the types of series and and kind of games that you want to be covering, right? Definitely, I wrote a story to that effect last week, kind of previewing the series, and it was basically like I think the headline, which I didn't write, was but but I believe it was totally appropriate. Was like why we shouldn't take Kawhi versus KD matchup for granted because. 
I mean, it's they they went head to head in the playoffs early in their careers when Kawhi was a rookie and Katie was in his fifth season. But like, think about that. Kevin Durant was already like the player he is now in 2012. He was a number one scorer. He was an all star. But Kawhi was the guy who just stood in the corner and shot threes. Um, it was as a safety valve when Tony Parker or Tim Duncan or Manu right. Ginobili couldn't get a shot up, and then was just a defensive guy. And so these opportunities to see them both as like clearly top five, top ten, however you want to rank them, NBA players in all NBA form. Um, Kevin Durant's coming off a 55-40-90 season, which means 55% from the field, 40% from three, 90% from free throws. He's the only player to ever do that in NBA history. And Kawhi has played as well as he ever has since January. It's And considering they both came off major injuries in, within the last two or three years, like we, there was no guarantee we were ever going to get this kind of matchup ever again when one guy has an Achilles tear. Right. One guy tears his ACL, and they're both 30 when they do it. So, yeah, I think from that perspective, there is like a 30,000-foot 30, view, 30, view of the series where you sort of have to appreciate to catch these guys at, at this level of, of their play is pretty rare. Do you think the Clippers can win the title? I don't know if they can go that many rounds. Right. Um, but I think they can definitely win the series. I think that obviously Paul George is the – the X factor because I, it seems like for a, a round one appearance, it seems fairly unlikely. The Clippers have been pretty cautious about managing expectations, whether he could come back. I think round two is something that is possible. Um, so can they get there that far? I think if you can get them that far, then the whole West is totally open. Uh, at that point, it just becomes execution and, and fitness level. But I, I think the, the, the West has never been so level uh since i've been covering which is only five years but i don't think that a whole lot of people are scared of denver or sacramento or memphis and those are the top three teams covering this this level of basketball and and where the good teams are pretty equal right now how like realistically realistically like how far are the blazers away because like right now it feels pretty hopeless in the city and it and like it seems like everything is kind of attached to like this very 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 outside chance that they land Webb and Yama or whatever um and it just I mean it feels like they're in the exact same position as they were when you left here five years ago yeah I know man I wish I, I came back and covered the 2019 conference finals um in Portland the time sent me up and I was so grateful for that because there was a chance to go back to Portland but like the city was so alive dude it during... was, it, that, that was the cool that it, and like it it makes it worse that that was like right before like pre the last year pre pandemic too. So it was just like, everything was great. And then it's just then gone. <laughs> yeah. I, there's, I mean, I didn't live in Portland that long. I can't say I'm a lifelong Portlander. I grew up in a very different part of Oregon. So I, I don't have that deep connection to the city, but there is something special about like when the Blazers go deep in the playoffs. Um, even I, I remember even living there when there was like the second round appearances, like it, there's just something different. And I think I think that's really unique and special. So I don't know how far they, I mean, I don't know how far away they are because there's not a traditional free agency destination. So you can't bank on that. Um, you know, I, I think that what they have going in their favor is if Lillard wants to stay there. I mean, the way he looked this year was a fantastic, and that yeah. coming off of his um, his surgery last year that knocked him out for so much. I think there was some 
kind of wonder around the league of like, what's the next version of little look like? Does it look like the guy who we've seen for like the last nine years or is it some diminished version of himself? And clearly not diminished this year. He looked excellent. So when you, if you have that guy in your favor, then you're always going to be in a puncher's chance to win a series. Um, but I, you know, does Jeremy Grant want to be there? Do other people, I, I have no idea. And so I think they're fairly far away, but if the West looks anything like it does this year, next year, where it's, you, you can make a reasonable argument that like two through nine is pretty level. Um, then I, then I don't think it's like an unreasonable thing to think they could be a playoff team that, you know, makes a little bit of noise. It could cause a little right. bit of trouble for somebody. How, uh, how's your training for, uh, the pre, the pre 400 coming? Well, the good thing is we have until September. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit later this year. I, yeah. I was getting worried because I started seeing like the, you know, Google starts sending you like the photos from like close to like a year from now, and it was like it was May last year, wasn't it, or was it June? It was. It, yeah, was, it, was, it was May, and this year it's in September because it's the final of the world, basically the of like the the world track and field calendar. It's like this year it's the season ending meet, and usually it's a May meet, so that's an unusual thing to have. That, that's uh that's beneficial to me because i'm coming off a, a week in mexico and uh um as uh as you said last year the training or shoot what did you say i hope the training do you say like i hope the training activates or something or stays true or something <laughs> something tracky like that <laughs> yeah i i don't think that um i would run but, any faster in a 400 right now and i've been running a lot recently but it's all been like longer distances so i don't think my time is going to be radically improved even if you gave me three extra months well it's just uh yeah well it's it's rain snowing here um we're just covering spring football up here up here in the northwest andrew so uh keep living that life down there and and i sorry go ahead i was just saying as someone who still follows the ducks through your coverage um Mm -hmm. and other people's coverage too but not nearly on a granular level like i used to um where you just know every single person on the depth chart what do you think is the um, maybe like the the, the thirty thousand foot view of, of the ducks going into this going into the fall? You know the thing that is most interesting to you about them. Uh, can the defense allow Oregon's offense to be a championship offense? Because like I like the ducks are going to be fine with with the football. Like I like it's it's weird how little. Or it feels like Bo Nix is somehow going under the radar still again, but that's because Penix was led the nation in passing last year, and you have Caleb Williams, who was the Heisman Trophy winner. And but like up until like mid November, like he had, I mean, he was as good as any of them, and had his team ranked higher than all of them. So like I think they're going to be good there, but like the defense is like a lot of people left. Like they, it, it's it was a really bad defense last year, and then you're losing like. Christian Gonzalez, who like out of nowhere is like some people are considering like a top five potential pick. Um, but yet they're still pretty optimistic about I, I think they just want to have a lot more speed and versatility there. Because like Noah did did you ever cover Noah Sewell or was that was after you? Yeah. After well anyways, like he he had like Troy Die type of like freshman year type of impact and sophomore year and and then like he was just nothing last year for them. And I I think just can they get the right fits for for a landing type Tashu boy defense? So, um, yeah, should be fun. I don't know. It's 
it's it's crazy. It's impossible to keep track of everything though. With I think there's like 90 players on their or 90 scholarship guys on the roster right now, and the transfer portal sucks, man. <laughs> I talked with someone who's involved with the collective at at a school um, at a power five school recently, and they were saying that it's just totally bonkers to be on that side of things. Um, you know, like you're you're trying to. I guess maybe analogy would be like you're trying to draw these rules up on like with a stick on a beach and like every so often like the the waves just come in and wash it all away and you're left being like well, what do we do now like it's he said it's just um a very interesting time to be in college sports well <laughs> so it, i can't it, imagine it, what it's like to be a coach or even yeah. a writer well well like uh landing was talking last week about how like like it really like you you try to finish second with a lot of guys, like recruits now just because of like the transfer portal later on it's almost like it's almost like college football switched to like the ranked choice voting you know instead of just like the one or the other like if you get enough second place votes it, it might come down and, and help you later on but um i remember we used to i mean they still probably do them at the athletic but like their big thing post spring practice was always to do like a projected depth chart because it got a lot of clicks and subscriptions and um i apologize to my audience but i'm I'm not touching that maybe until like the fall <laughs> just because it's it's impossible right now. Um, you think Dan Landing can even do a projected depth chart at this point? You know, it's like it's probably hard for even them to do it. I'm, I mean, like Landing didn't put out a depth chart until uh, until after the Georgia game last year. But <laughs> Hey, I want to um, tell you something that feels really – it makes us feel really old. The uh, the Hatfield-Dallin complex is 10 years old this I know. summer. I know. I mean, I, mean be- I remember walking on the tour of that and – the ooing and awing it's uh it's pretty remarkable to think about just how quickly and it, obviously now it's not like the shiny new thing it's the new practice facility that's gonna be built there it's 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 just i feel like um you know how like like the first like five years of like the iphone like it seemed like it got exponentially better each time it was like now you have cameras and now you have like 3g and like the app store and now it's like like we re- re- redesigned the notch on the top like it's just like incremental stuff. Like I, I feel like we've reached kind of that level of college football facilities because even though Oregon's is ten years old now, and I know it's still you know there's other ones that are probably more expensive and flashier. Like it's still like walking into that place is still as gaudy as it was like the first time. Like it's it's excess. Um, it's I mean it's pretty awesome, but like it's uh, I'm I'm excited to see like what sort of things they throw into the indoor practice center because. Um, you know, being at like Hayward last year or during the, the races last year when that was open, like that was pretty jaw dropping as well. Yeah. I had but, a really bad um, dap last week. I was going to say, I just hope that going into and leaving spring practice and entering fall camp, that you get better with your daps because it yeah, sounds like it was, it's a pretty tra- the, traumatic experience. Well, I, I texted you right after it happened. Um, it was, Explain it, was a, it for the listeners. Yeah, so it was it was kind of a similar situation to you and Russell Westbrook. Uh, Will Stein, Oregon's new offensive coordinator, had just talked in the scrum, and Bo Nix came in, and so everyone went to Nix, and I just asked Will if I could ask him a few follow-up questions about um, his time working in Austin, Texas, as an offensive coordinator for Lake Travis High School, and also uh, at UT as a on the offensive staff there. And uh, yeah, we had a nice little conversation. I, I uh, had a story that went up on the website last week. It did pretty well. I thought it turned out great. But at the end of the conversation, I go for like the handshake. And I think we've probably discussed this on this podcast before. But I go for the handshake and he goes for the, you know, because like you don't know sometimes. Because sometimes you like you run into like old 
old staunchy football coach who like wants to just have like a gentleman's handshake. But now like you're dealing with guys in their thirties. And so you, you, psh, good luck preparing. And so anyways, he comes in for the dap, he grabs the hand and then he kind of pulls in for like, kind of like the chest bump hug sort of thing. But I didn't know what was happening at first. So I reacted late. So when I went in for the hug, he was already pulling back. And like, meanwhile, it's all behind the Bo Nick scrum. So it's on the cameras. And it happens to everyone else, it happens really quick. I think it's maybe like one second on tape. Uh, I showed my wife, she didn't even think it looked that bad. But like, as someone who's been that in that situation, like you know exactly what's happening in there. I had that situation recently myself, <sighs> and it's a really it's a really petrifying second and a half. So um, I can empathize and just say I'm sorry. Yeah. For your loss. Anyways, that's... I mean, the whole point of this podcast was just to bring you on, and it's it's, it's a little therapeutic session for me here at the end. But um, Will Stein, I know you're not listening, but I will be better. <laughs> I, I will be cooler. I will be hipper. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Andrew. Of course. Anytime, buddy. Listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider.